our overall health demands the harmony between the physical and mental well-being. What was taboo in the past will stay as taboo in the future. No matter how much we think that we are probably trying to implement this in our lives, we're equally not. And we're in 2023 and still people are either not comfortable talking about it or not comfortable hearing about it. When do you hide something? It's when you've done something wrong. How can you feel uncomfortable or at fault for something that is absolutely normal? Bold Enough is the platform that's really doing this the best way possible in the Mauritian and international context. I don't care what people think. This is what I need to do for myself. Hi everyone, this is Neha and you're listening to the Bold Enough podcast. Join me in this authentic journey engaging in uncomfortable but real conversations with wonderful guests. If you want to listen to real people who are winning in their own way and not as society told them to, then this podcast is for you. The Bold Enough podcast is produced by Leova Digital, hosted by Neha Galu. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Bold Enough podcast. Thank you to everyone who's been listening and sending me messages, kind words, that they've been listening to the episode and it's been helping them. And one of the person who actually reached out to me and sent me like really kind words was Omar, who is our guest today. Hi Omar, how are you? Hi Neha, I'm doing very well, thank you. What about you? How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for reaching out and thanks for being here today actually being part of the Bold Enough journey. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. I think you're doing a marvelous job with all the stories on Bold Enough. And I have become a fan. And I said, why not try and help the journey along a little bit and be part of the positive change that you're trying to institute. So yeah, I am very happy to be here. That's so kind. And it's actually very encouraging to hear those words, you know, from people who are listening and they want to be part of the journey. It's very encouraging and motivating. And it's like, it motivates me to do more and more to bring those stories around, to bring those change. So thank you. Yes, you really should bring more and more over to us. It would be criminal to deprive us of more of this. So yeah. (laughs) Okay, I will do that. So Umar is a doctor and a hospital manager at CK Mauritius. Today we're going to delve a bit into self-care, self-love, mental health, of course, for the young professionals. But before we get into that, I'm going to let Umar introduce himself and tell us what he does and why he's here today. Thank you. So essentially, Umar is a very normal Mauritian young professional who grew up in the 90s. I'm sure that's quite relatable to a lot of your listeners. I live in Port Louis. I'm recently married. I live with a cat. As typical of a suburban household as you may imagine it is. And yes, I happen to be a doctor. I am a GP by training, but I have delved a little bit into hospital management and administration. So it's a little bit of an atypical professional journey that I have. But the good thing is that I only work during the day, which means that gives me quite a bit of time, you know, work on my side projects as well. And one of which being to really be alikut of the youngsters and to really try and be part of positive changes, this being one of them. So essentially, what I do is I take care of patients, but at the same time, I also am fortunate enough to be working quite closely with the authorities to conduct sessions with youngsters, to conduct like interventions in corporate areas where I'm able to be very close to the younger generation and provide my support, provide my expertise 
and provide counseling to the youth. So this is essentially what I do. Apart from that, I'm also just a regular doctor. So I do have my own set of patients that I take care of, but that's a little bit less exciting. Today, we'll be talking a bit more about driving positive change and a little bit more about actual practical ways to maybe be better at loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves. So I think it would be maybe judicious to start with the idea of health the way I understand it, because health does not always take the priority seat in the lives of youngsters the way I understand it. And even if it does, it's not holistic in the sense that people tend to feel, you know what, I'm healthy because I don't have any diseases or I'm healthy because I am fit. I am physically fit. I'm able to function. I have a normal nine to five. I've got a family that I take care of and I live a roughly functional life. But that's not entirely my perception of things. I don't feel like health is just the absence of disease. I feel that there is more and more a disconnect between health and wellness, while it should really be intertwined. Do you know what I mean? So essentially, we tend to define health as the absence of disease. But the idea of disease in itself, if you look at the word of it, the etymology of it, it's broken down into dis-ease, which is the absence of ease, the absence of comfort. So I'd go as far as saying that if a person is healthy, the idea is that the person is also very comfortable, is also living a life of wellness, a life of mental health, a life of positive emotions. I think all of those things are intertwined. And I think we'll have the opportunity to discuss about this during our conversation today. I so agree with what you just said. But first, I love that you have a cat. I have a cat as well. <laughs> oh, okay. What is his or her name? Her name is Kiara. And yours? Mine's name is Patch. You may hear her say meow. If you do, we'll just have to meow back. But yeah, currently she's having a nap behind me. <laughs> we'll involve her in the conversation. That's fine. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. So coming back, I think that, like you said, it's not just the absence of disease. And it is often seen that people won't go to a doctor unless they are having some symptoms. Even if they are having like simple symptoms, they won't even take care of it, you know, until it becomes like really bad. And now they are all stressed out and like they feel that they need to go to a doctor. This is usually the trend, actually. And then we see that some illnesses are diagnosed or detected in the later stages when actually they were having symptoms since years. They never went to test it, but all those things could have been prevented, actually. And like you said, there is a disconnect. There's a disconnect between physical and mental health, but actually they are connected they are interconnected sometimes we have i don't know a simple example we're having headaches for no apparent reason and we sometimes link that to our physical health but a lot of times it's because of our mental health is not being taken care of correct now you're very right in assuming that i tend to say during my lectures that physical and mental health they're like a dynamic duo of well-being. You need both of them. And both of these pillars, I feel like they're equally vital. Imagine you're building a house, right? And that house is you, is your overall well-being. Your physical health is that strong foundation upon which this house stands, which means that you need to have that sturdy base. If you don't, the structure crumbles. Obviously, your body needs to be in good physical state for the rest of it to matter. And if that structure crumbles, then that leaves you vulnerable to all sorts of challenges. And mental health, on the other hand, it's a little bit like the roof that protects you from the storms of life. It really shields you from the rains of stress, from the 
gusts of anxiety, from the thunderclaps of depression, so to speak. And just how that house needs both that solid foundation and that trustworthy, reliable roof, our overall health demands the harmony between the physical and mental well-being. And to put that a bit more into perspective, let's say a marathon runner, right? A person in peak physical fitness, it really doesn't get better than that, right? But imagine that his mind is clouded by constant self-doubt, okay? They may have the strength to conquer the miles. They may have got the miles in their legs, but without the mental resilience, and which is often what we see when they have bad races, it's they're like, I just didn't feel like it today. I couldn't, but they had peak physical training prior to this. But without that mental strength, the journey is an uphill battle. There's no wordplay there. It's just incredibly difficult. And I feel like that can potentially sabotage their progress and hinders their ability to break their personal records. And on the other hand, if you have like a brilliant mind, right? Like a, a person who's bursting with creativity and intellect. But at the same time, if that person is trapped in a body that is neglected by physical care, right? That mind can't fully unleash its brilliance. I'll give you the example of, you know, we've both been sitting for exams, our fair share of exams, I'm sure. And a lot of times we feel that we've studied the appropriate syllabus we are ready to conquer that exam. But the fact that we maybe haven't slept well or haven't been eating correctly or haven't been hydrating correctly, or we're just in poor physical state from just that sheer burnout over the months of just studying and studying, we just don't manage to do very well during those exams. It's also like having a race car engine, but with a rusty chassis, it just will not perform at its peak. So I always say, especially to the younger generation that's working in corporate environments where it can get incredibly stressful, that, you know, pushing yourself to the limit while neglecting the self-care and trying to climb the corporate ladder and trying to navigate around the trials and tribulations of everyday life within the office, your physical health is bound to suffer and you sacrifice sleep and nutrition and exercise. And over time, this toll on your body can result in chronic health issues. And I'm speaking about actual conditions, right, that you may get just from not being, you know, in proper mental condition. I can give you examples of stress ulcers, for example, which is a very common kind of like erosion of the mucosal layer in the stomach that happens and is directly related to stress. The name itself mentions stress ulcers, and you can just get it by being too stressed. At least it's one of the main predispositions. The same thing for herpes zoster or varicella zoster, they call it. In French, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term le zona. It's a disease that you can get from a virus, but it's usually from the varicella virus. So it's when people have like in childhood, infancy, a lot of times we already get varicella and we already get immune to it. But somehow in adulthood, because we're too stressed, our body, our immune system just gets weakened and we can get zona, we can get varicella zoster just from not being in proper mental or psychological condition. So these are not just, you know, words to say that they work together. If you're physically well, but mentally you're not taking care of yourself, that's bad and vice versa. It really is related with actual medical literature that supports it. Stress, anxiety, burnout, they can you know, make sound decisions very difficult to make. They can cloud a professional's ability to make these decisions. And they can literally get you in burnout. And many careers have been lost because of an inability to handle the two aspects of well-being, of health. And I sometimes like to go one step further as well and say, for instance, if you remember the first parable that we used about 
you know, building a house with a strong foundation and the roof, I may even add that spiritual health is probably equally important. I like to compare that with like cementing or with using mortar around the bricks because otherwise the bricks are just not as strong. So it's very little. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but we do need to be aware that the spiritual side of things, I feel at least, is equally important. Whether you think of it as meditation or yoga or prayers or journaling or whatever it is, but the connection that you get, whether it's religious or otherwise, that you can get with the inner essence that represents you, I feel like that also helps both of those dynamic duos, both of those like pillars, physical and mental health, even better. What do you think? Yeah, true. And I was thinking that while you were talking that there are actually a lot of myths, even physical health and mental health. And let's say about burnout, anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Those are the things that people don't talk about it. You know, we are not educated about that. We don't know what those things are. And when someone is experiencing a burnout, he or she may think that, you know, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know. Maybe it's my body. Maybe I'm getting sick, maybe a cold or anything. And mm -hmm. they don't know that it's a burnout happening or, you know, recognizing even the symptoms beforehand, before the burnout actually happened. Like, for example, if I take myself, the first time I had an anxiety attack, I didn't know what it was. It happened and I didn't know what was happening to me because, yeah, like I said, no one talks about that. No one teaches us about this, neither in school, nor at home. This is not something that, you know, mental health is not something that is talked a lot, is spoken a lot. Now uh, with the new generation, we are trying to break that barrier and speaking about it. But our parents, our grandparents, mental health is not something that they actually know about it also. No, I completely agree. Yeah, I feel also that a lot of people, of young professionals may be experiencing burnouts or anxiety and they might not know what it is actually. Yeah, and that's even worse because when you know what something is, like, you know, I'll speak in medical terms, I'm only a doctor, so I can't help it. But everything goes through diagnosis first and then management. If you haven't diagnosed your patient, you just cannot just start management, right? It's not like someone's sick, they come in, I don't manage to diagnose them. And I just start throwing stuff on the wall and see what sticks. I can't just start giving corticosteroids or giving antibiotics and see if that works. I can't do that. I don't have the right to do that. I need to have a diagnosis. And even in medicine, again, pardon the jargon, but we tend to, even before getting a diagnosis, if we're not sure what exactly the patient has, there is something called a provisional diagnosis, which is like, we're not sure what it is, but for now, that's what I'm working with, right? And it's important to have that, to have that differential, just to say, okay, if it's not this, then maybe it might be that afterwards. But I do need to start pointing fingers at things, right? All this is to say how important it is to really, you know, identify the causality of an issue before we start addressing it. And in physical and mental health, you're exactly right when you say that when we don't manage to know that something's wrong or we don't know what's going wrong with ourselves, it even adds so much of a barrier to actually finding help for it, right? And the worst thing is if you're talking to people you trust, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a parent, whether it's a healthcare practitioner, and they brush it off like it's nothing, then that just further builds the stigma that these things either don't exist or they are not of value. And then what happens, you start having this negative relationship with it rather than accept it and say, no, I wouldn't want to be embarrassing myself again by bringing this up again with people I trust. And what does that result in? Lack of trust, closing on yourself, and that just starts a, a whole new vicious circle. So honestly, I think it's important that we reach out to the right people Okay, 
not to, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry who would say, oh, no, you're just in love or, you know, it's just because this happened last time or, oh, are you getting the cray cray? Do you know what I mean? These jokes in the beginning, they're very funny. I'll give you that. But very soon they stigmatize the actual need for help, right? Having a shrink, having a psychologist that follows you or a therapist or someone who would just be there as a counselor is not a shame, right? It would be as if we said as a society that, you know what, you have a broken leg. Okay, I can see you have a cast. I can see you have like plaster and I can see you're walking with crutches. But why are you walking with crutches? Why aren't you running together with your friends? It's just a phase. Just Go for it. Just mind of a matter. You know, things that don't mean anything, but that we've grown accustomed to saying just to prove that, you know, we have that arrogance to say that there is no way that anyone should be unable to do something unless I can see it with my eyes that some bone is broken. Well, guess what? A mental health that is not being nurtured is as bad as a, probably even worse than physical health that's not being nurtured. And as a result of that, it's just refusing assistance to someone who actually needs it. So I absolutely agree. I think it starts with education. You mentioned it in your speech. Education is very important, but also I think sensitization in general, like just destigmatization of something that doesn't need to be stigmatized, right? And maybe even joking about it, right? Just making it part of common language, of common interactions you have that, hey, listen, I feel like, hey, what about we just sign up for this kind of therapy? Or what about, oh, I've noticed that you were a little bit like this and that. Do you need any help? Or just want you to know that I'm here and I'm willing to listen. And especially within the workplace, if you notice that there is any form of like, if someone's just always feeling under the weather, reach out, reach out. And by reaching out, I don't mean just telling them, hey, you don't smile. Why don't you just smile more? That makes no sense, right? But just reach out in a very humane way. Get closer to them. Try and like establish a rapport of trust with your colleagues and find out if you're able to help them. And if you're not, then at least show them that you support them and they usually will find their solution on their own if they find support. Because a lot of times it's because they've gotten into this, you know, dark place where they're not trusting people around them that they would just refuse to get support while they know that they need to have assistance. But just having, providing that kind of support, showing them that it's a safe haven, it's an okay environment to be vulnerable in, gives them that impetus to say, okay, you know what, I think I might need this kind of support. I think I might need that kind of assistance. But also, at the same time, talking about the education of it, I think, yeah, it's true that sometimes we lack the education, but it's equally true that the idea of the importance of mental health has been part and parcel of our curriculum for a very long time. I think all of us remember the actual saying, like the Latin saying that was coined by Juvenal, if I'm not mistaken, mens sana in corpore sano. Everyone has heard that some way. It's like a healthy mind and a healthy body. We've probably used it in our essays in GP as kids as well. And by the way, the whole of it is orandum est ut sit mens sana in corpore sano, which isn't just a healthy mind in a healthy body, but it's let us pray for a healthy mind in a healthy body. That's what Juvenal said. And I think that also brings back the whole idea of a trinity rather than a duality, what I mentioned before about spiritual health and the importance of just being connected to your inner self, your essence. So this was there for, I think that was in the first century. And actually it goes even before then. Have you heard of Thales, the Greek philosopher from like, I don't know, 400 or 500 BC that said something very similar in Greek. I can't recall exactly. I think it's or something like that. I may be butchering it. But the idea is that it's essentially the same thing. It's important to be having a healthy mind as much as it's important to be having healthy body. So this has been here for almost 3,000 years now. 
right? We know about this. We've taught our kids about the importance of it. But why is it that we're lagging so far behind? Why is it that we're not paying this much attention to our mental health? And maybe in a while we'll talk about struggles that young people have to deal with within the corporate setup. And maybe then I think it would be a nice corollary to make. So I won't repeat myself when I'm speaking about it afterwards. But yeah, I think it's it's a fair discussion to have. It's important that we start realizing that it is an education issue. But at the same time, I think it's equally important to realize that it's also a stigmatized issue. It's very taboo. And no matter how much we think that we are probably trying to implement this in our lives, we're equally not quite there yet. And I think it's important we realize that and, and it's important we make amends for it. Hi, this is Neha and you're listening to the Bold Enough podcast. Yes, Umar, it's very wise what you're saying right now and even about the workplace and having colleagues who are compassionate enough to ask how are you doing? Do you need help? I'm here to listen if there's anything. You know, just those kind words, they seem small. Like just asking someone, are you okay? Do you want to talk? They are just simple words which can make a difference in people's lives actually. Very often as we go into adulthood, we tend to lose friends, our circle of friends. We tend to lose families, especially if we're growing and, you know, we realize that some families or some friends are toxic, so we're going to cut them off. Eventually, we get to a place where there are not a lot of people to talk about. And here, I think that even as a stranger, even if someone is a stranger to you, if you feel like that person is not going for a good phase, is not okay, you can reach out to them. You can just say, are you doing okay? Do you need help? Do you want me to contact someone? Or I know this psychologist, I know this therapist, they can help you out, those things. And this is how we're going to normalize having those conversations. If we just keep quiet, keep to ourselves, and everything is just going to continue as it is. What was taboo in the past will stay as taboo in the future. This morning itself, I was having a conversation with a colleague about how talking about menstruation for women in the workplace is still a taboo. And this is a natural biological thing. And we're in 2023 and still people are either not comfortable talking about it or not comfortable hearing about it. And this is a normal thing, actually, which happens to women. And people are still can't, you know, they can't hear about it. Like if, if a woman is having cramps or uh, uh, she can't work today, she does not feel comfortable to say, hey, I'm not going to come because I'm having my menses. Yes, correct. They would change it. Yeah, exactly. She's going to say, oh, I'm having a headache or I'm having a cold because... That's easier to say, you know? Yeah. Exactly. It is sad that it is. Because you know what that is instructing to our young girls? That almost as if they're at fault for their normal biology, you know? Like, oh, no, no, you have... When do you hide something? It's when you've done something wrong, right? How can you feel uncomfortable or at fault for something that is absolutely normal? Yeah, so I completely agree with this point. I think the more people continue to feel, you know, ashamed almost of certain things, the more that will perpetuate the stereotype or the, the stigma that is around that in particular. So yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's exactly what we're talking about all along, even with mental health and physical health as well. And I think not just this, I will just have a quick parable about do you know how we talk about like well-being at work and you just mentioned and rightly so how we can be of more help to our colleagues by maybe telling them that, okay, we're here for them or we know this or that therapist. That's absolutely great. But even if we don't manage to go that far, even if we just, you know, become friends with them, 
you know, I don't want to force friendship. That's not what I'm saying. But I mean, just giving them a little bit of our time, like giving people around us, especially the silent ones, because those are usually the ones that are closing on some secrets, sometimes some dark secrets, right? But really showing them that they can trust you. You don't need to be fake to them, but just opening up a little bit to them and allowing them to open up slightly to you makes all the difference. And this is actually supported by research, right? There's a research in 2017, I can't recall who actually wrote it, like who studied it, but it was about the sense of belonging you get at work while fostering positive relationships with your colleagues. And for me, that is halfway there. You don't need to always say, you know what, I've got all the answers to every problem you think you have, because sometimes we really don't. Sometimes they've got dark secrets, they've got maybe unsafe environments at home, or their families are forcing them to do so. And you never know what exactly it is. And many times they won't tell you because we're at work and we have to subscribe to that to being construed within that framework. We are still at work. So certain things will not be said. But if you are able to at least foster that positive relationship, you're doing them and yourself a huge favor. So yeah, I completely agree. There is also the fact that, of course, there are many companies nowadays who are open, more open to having discussions about mental health for their employees. So there are workshops, there are trainings and other things happening around mental health. But just having a workshop once per month or twice per month is not enough actually because mm -hmm. mental health is something that you take care of every day it's not something that you know we're taking we're going to take time every month at the end of the month and then we're going to do something the first something that you do every day like and it can be just some simple things actually people working in an office they stay they sit down for long hours the only time when they are going to get up is during lunch and sometimes there are people who even have their lunch at their desk so they don't ever get up until this 5 p.m or something and like just encouraging your staff to have a little walk one minute two minute each two hours you know just having something like that just stretching your legs it will do well on their physical health, but on their mental health also. Nobody will be productive if they're going to stay in front of their laptop for a whole day. Yeah, it's something that we thought was true, but we realized this a long time ago. We realized this back in the 80s already, but we're taking time to really implement it on the grounds. I'll tell you of, of a study, of an article that I read, it was from the University of Warwick. It talked about how productivity is actually improved from happy people, from just being, you know, in better mental condition at work, right? From 700 employees, they found out that all of them became more productive when they were happier. They even quantified it, I remember, as 12% more productive. That makes a big difference. So we thought that when we are prioritizing, you know, happiness at work and jokes and like a good atmosphere, that people would tend to resort to complacency and be less productive. That's what we thought, right? But studies prove that it's actually the other way around, okay? And whether it's manual industries or knowledge-based industries, there has been unanimous positive results in terms of productivity right? And you're saying the basic things. It's true. If we just moved more, if we just incorporated this physical activity into our routines to take some stretch breaks, to, you know, just walk a little bit during lunch, like you mentioned, right? Or even desk exercises, right? We even have companies now where there are standing desks as well now. So when you're tired of sitting down, you can bring your laptop over to a like a stand-up desk and use that a little bit to your advantage and at least stretch a little bit and just you know, keep that blood pumping a little bit and feel more energized. But there's also posture. I think that's equally important. I can't stress this enough. 
people have improper posture when they're working on their offices. They, that leads to discomfort, to strain, that leads to disc herniations in their spinal columns, like in their vertebral columns, that leads to, you know, plenty of issues, right? Carpal tunnel syndrome, when you're not properly sat at your keyboard and your wrists aren't properly rested. So really adjust your chair, monitor, I mean, your monitor's height, right? Use these tools that you have at hand. You don't even need to have something too fancy. Put a stack of books under your monitor if you need to, just to make sure that it's, you know, eyesight level. Support that body alignment. Take care of that body, right? Be hydrated. Eat healthy at work, right? Whenever it is that you're hungry, have a yogurt or have, I don't know, fruit and nuts or whatever it is that, you know, you like to, that's healthy. Take breaks. Allow yourself these regular breaks to recharge, to reset, right? Step away from that desk, engage in relaxing activities. Even if you have to like go to your friend's desk and like crack a joke or two, that should be fine. Leave on time as well. I think we have a culture where, you know, leaving on time is frowned upon. Like overworking is the, like the company won't even say it, but people will joke about it. If you're leaving at like, Five minutes before five, because you know that you finish at five, people will be joking, right? Next to the cubicle, like, hey, half day today, or hey, this, hey, that. And then the youngsters, they tend to think that, okay, that's frowned upon. Oh, I'm not supposed to do this. Oh, I'm supposed to wait for my boss to leave first, and then I can leave. That would be unfair to be leaving. And this is what I do not like about corporate culture, because we are not giving ourselves the rights that we vowed to give ourselves while we were kids. When I'll be working, I'll be doing this. When I'll be working, I'll be, I don't know, having family time and I won't overwork. We've all said this, especially me in the medical industry. All of my friends in, you know, med school, it's a little bit funny because they all say, you know what, I'll be a different kind of doctor. I won't be working till like 10 at night. I won't be on call five times a week. I will not take, you know, cases that are on Sunday, whatever it is, but it's all a bunch of BS because at the end of the day, they kind of get used to the idea that overworking is important. Overworking is expected. So really, the more we start right from the get-go with the millennials, with the youngsters of this generation, the better it will be going forward. Yeah. And change start with us. We can't wait when things are going to change, another person is going to do it, and then I'm going to follow. So if you feel like you need to bring that change in that culture and change something, then do it. You know, take the leap, take the lead, and just break that culture. This is how we're going to bring change, actually. Omar, I wanted to, of course, you've given a lot of tips for when we're working in the office about posture and everything. What are the self-tips or self-love that you have for the young professionals when, you know, they are leaving work? How can they take care of them in a better way, maintaining their physical and their mental health when they're getting home during weekends? I cannot stress this enough how having a time for yourself, a me time, just for yourself, for no one else inside this circle is so important. You can just be doing anything that you love. If that things it means just just don't do anything for 30 minutes and that is your time. Not having this time for ourselves. Uh, we have busy lives and our time is for work, for our family, for all the things that we need to do, responsibilities and everything. And we often forget that just taking care of ourselves, loving ourselves is as important as those other things. Absolutely agree. I'll piggyback on what you said about me time. I think that's where it starts, you know, because I feel like our audience, like our listeners, they are aware already of what to do to feel better. And I'll tell you why. Because we know, right, like exercising, going to the gym, having me time, not, you know, having your work email on your phone while you're on the weekends and having off-screen time. And we know that. But I think you've said the solution already. Part of it, or at least the beginning of it, I feel, to be more, you know, connected to ourselves. 
to have that me time, to have that introspection time, to have enough time to prioritize ourselves over everything else, over money, over like work, over some commitments that you feel you have that are extremely important over certain deadlines, right? It's so important to fall in love with yourself. And I'll say it this way, I'm not like without any wordplay or anything, I think it's very important to start loving, to fall back in love because we were in love with ourselves when we were kids, right? Talk to any kid, any like three to seven year old, and I promise you, they will show you how much they love themselves in terms of sharing, in terms of the jokes they make, or in terms of whatever. If you observe kids, they really love themselves. And then they lose it along the way. If they go to school, they are part of a society that shows them that there are certain behaviors that aren't, you know, great to showcase. So we started like this. And then we started not doing things for ourselves, but we started doing things for people. And I say this is even more relevant now with the youngsters that are active on social media that have like an online presence to show and to live for, right? So much so that it's starting to be for the followers that these actual things get done because you have fit people on social media. That's not what I'm saying. But a lot of times it's because they need to show for it, you know? People start to do exercises because they want a six-pack and not because they are absolutely head over heels in love with their body and in love with themselves feeling good. Do you know what I mean? And for me, that is where we fall short. We are doing things, but not for the right reason. We're doing the right things. We are cooking healthy. We are eating in rather than eating out all the time. The concept of health still exists among the young. But I feel like we've lost track a little bit of the rationale behind. Because that is why there is such a disconnect between physical and mental health. Because people tend to be in great physical condition, tend to be following yoga classes and doing this and doing that. But there is still something lacking. It's that self-love. It's that self-acceptance. It's that self-forgiveness. It's that idea that, you know what, I should be putting myself first. And now people who actually start to put themselves first, they get labeled as selfish. They get labeled as phony, right? And it shouldn't be this. We shouldn't be frowning upon people who are putting themselves first. If anything, we should be encouraging them. So I think that summarizes a little bit all the tips that I feel are important for people to implement in their life. It's to really put yourself first. And I think Bold Enough is the platform that's really doing this the best way possible in the Mauritian and international context. So I'd like to really give props to you and to the team, to everyone who has been on the platform so far. I hope that you get even more reach. I think this is a big way to get people to start loving themselves, to be bold enough to come up and to talk about these topics and to say, listen, I don't care what people think. This is what I need to do for myself. And I think health is not an exception. I wanted to come and talk about health because that is what I work with. That is what I am comfortable talking about. And that is what my personal mission is. But I think it comes in conciliation with what you're doing and not in conflict. It really is the same battle that we're fighting. It's important we start with ourselves. So yeah, I want to give props to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is what I'm trying to do with Bold Enough, you know, to normalize those conversation, to talk about taboo things and bring that mental health awareness here because we are in 2023. It is time now. It's time that we bring a change, we bring a culture change so that the future generations are going to lead a better life in terms of their mental health. Mental health is something that I did not know until I've had, you know, experiences and everything. And then I started researching, looking up for information, what it is, how can I take care of my mental health? All those came from experiences, but mental health is something that right from the beginning, 
from childhood we need to lay emphasis on it the same as we tell the kids to take care of their physical health to take care of themselves is the same to take care of the mental health as well it has to be equal connected we can't just say you know don't stay out in the cold you'll get sick this is why we tell you not to go and play in the rain this those are common things that parents do but how many times do we tell our kids to hey are you okay uh, what happened in school do you want to talk about it we might do it when they are little kids but as they grow into teenagers how many parents ask their teenager what happened and it's probably more important than in childhood you know because that's when they're most exposed to the trials and tribulations of adolescence and to like to scourges outside so yeah yeah teenagers and then of course when they get into adulthood there are like non-existent conversations about mental <laughs> health <laughs> yeah it's like yeah he's an adult or she's an adult now she knows her stuff she knows what he needs to do and everything and no one actually sit down and have those types of conversations until it's too late and then we found out that oh she or he was having that issue and no one ever knew and how many times and how many families or even with friends we've had friends or families who were going through such a hard phase and no one knew actually it's like that yeah i agree it's very important that we make this a casual conversation we make this a recurrent conversation and it's important especially among the people who's starting to work you know because in school somehow there's someone who's responsible for them right you have the form master the teacher the family they're still quite dependent right and i think part of the problem lies there already but also i think we are not taking enough care about our young adults that have just started working because it's a new world for them they're less dependent on their parents they are less inclined to tell their families that you know what at work i've been facing some tough times i've been bullied or someone has said something i didn't like and that's really working me up and and keeping me awake at night and then there are so many new pressures that didn't exist before there are financial pressures you know when you're at a school and you encounter difficulties a lot of times you can just not go right you get into trouble but what else is going to happen but if you're at work you kind of want to force yourself to because of that financial pressure right because of the inherent stress that is already there that you know you have deadlines or you have meetings where you will be the one that's on the spotlight right where you have maybe longer hours to work and that causes work life imbalances right and then you see other people who are from different backgrounds work and you may start having that imposter syndrome where you don't feel like you belong with them or all of them are driving to work and you're taking the bus to work and you start having negative ideas about your body image right you start isolating yourself because you know when you're at school you're in a class so you can't really isolate yourself all the time but a lot of times when you're within the corporate setup you're working in a cubicle so if you don't reach out to your colleagues no one's going to reach out to you a lot of times it's not always the case unfortunately a lot of times it is and you tend to isolate and you tend to let that macerate and brew and get worse and worse over time and then also the fact that you know at school there is this sense of you know what's going to be the next step like if you're in grade 7 you know you'll be in grade 8 and then you know you'll be in grade 9 so you're not really thinking about the future because it's already drawn for you while it's not the case for work life because you have an uncertain career path whether you'll be in this company in a year's time or not you don't know whether you should be applying elsewhere you don't know whether it's you know this or that like there is a change in administration and suddenly work life is a, a hell of a lot different So all of those uncertainties together with the stigma that we talked about before that's a, a lot of trouble for a new you know 20 something year old adult to have to deal with so maybe my concluding word would be that that it's normal to not feel great 
And it's important that we talk about it because that's the first step. That is where everything starts to get better. A lot of times we're afraid of things that may not even ever happen, but the fact that we've been afraid of it for so long, it really starts eating at us and, and it creates issues that shouldn't even have been here in the first place because these apprehensions haven't become any concrete issues down the line. So really, I think that's my concluding word, to really open up, to really destigmatize, to really get out of that fear of judgment, right? And just be accompanied, right? Don't be isolated, be accompanied, uh, seek support, seek assistance, extend support to others, extend assistance to others. At the end of the day, anyone you're helping is you helping yourself. We're all in this together. It's a social construct. It's a it's an issue that affects all of us, right? So it's important that everyone, especially the younger people, feel that it's their cause to work for. We all look for a cause now in the 21st century. And it's important that this, irrespective of what you believe in, that this becomes your cause, right? It's essential that mental and physical health, self-care, self-love is becomes everyone's cause. That's what I think. What do you think? I so agree. I love when you said we are all in this together and together we can bring that change. Well, Omar, thank you for being here today. Of course, we're going to share your LinkedIn where people can connect with you if they want and even send you a message or anything. It was very nice to have this conversation with you today. The more, like you said, the more we have those types of conversation, the more it's going to be a normal thing. Everyone, actually. So thank you for your time and thank you for all your tips and everything that you've shared today. Thank you. Thank you, Neha. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me and thank you to all the listeners. I wish you guys all the best. My links will be provided if there is any particular advice or counseling that anyone wants or at least pushing them to the right direction. They're welcome to just ping me a little message. But yeah, all the more power to you and to the platform, to the podcast. And if there are any young professionals out there or anyone in general who want to share their story or share their ideas, please do not hesitate to reach out to Neha. She's really nice and she can make you feel very, very comfortable. So yeah, this is a great judgment-free platform. If you want to come just to share or to counsel, by all means, this is the right one. Thank you. Thanks, Neha. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Bold Enough podcast hosted by Neha Ganu. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and tune in weekly as we keep on breaking the barriers together. Don't forget to show your love on our Instagram account and on our LinkedIn. And thank you for listening to us.